Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will bring you an inspiring person to help you improve in all areas of your life. We'll be chatting with friends old and new who have incredible stories and experiences to share. We'll be listening to some of their obstacles and how they've shown resilience to overcome them. Each episode should give you value and influence and inspire you to your greatness. So welcome to Making It Happen. Uh, I'm Tom Dalton. I'm your host. We are on episode number 10 and I'm delighted to say my guest this morning, I'm in our lovely kitchen. We're on location with this podcast, having a great cup of tea in front of me, is the wonderful author, presenter and blogger. And I'm delighted to say I've been able to work alongside her, Katrina Redmond. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um, it's a beautiful morning. It is. It's um. This is our first podcast on location, which I'm delighted to do myself. Um, and thanks again for, for coming along. I'd love to start at the start. Where did your journey begin or how did you get into cooking? And we see you in blogging and presenting at some big cookery events. Where did that all begin? It started now 11 years ago. 11 years ago, I was made redundant at the height of the recession, which seems like a whole lifetime ago. And um, I had just, the day I returned from maternity leave after my first son was born, um, I was handed my cards. And not not as in sacked, but I was made redundant. Um, And it seemed like the most difficult thing in the whole wide world to battle against. And I was left at home because I had a small baby and childcare was extremely expensive. It still is extremely expensive. And finding another job that would accommodate childcare and a commute because we're on location today in beautiful Balbriggan, which is in North County, Dublin. And it's a good bit away from the city centre where I used to work. That was too much of a hurdle to, to get over. And I realised that I was going to be left at home. And we seriously had to cut back on the budget. And I make no secret of the fact that we came up against some extremely bad financial difficulties and one of the ways that we tried to cut back was we cut back on all of our household bills so we got rid of you know all the stuff like the the tv you know the sky subscription we ended up getting rid of private health care and it got to a point where there was nothing else that we could get rid of apart from take a look at our food bill and i got the food bill down at one point to 70 euro for a family of for at that point, um, it, that would have been in and around 2010. And in 2011, my second son came along. And that was 70 euro for a family of four plus a dog. It's now a family of five plus a dog. And it's in around the 90 euro a week. Now, things aren't as bad now as they used to be. But back then, friends and family kept on asking me, how are you doing it? Because I was making it no secret of, of trying to get the family food bill down and save more money as much as we could. We we're trying to hold on to the house. So I started a blog and I, and I first started a blog on WordPress. It was a free platform and that went on for a couple of years. And then in 2011, just after my second son arrived, I got a rush of blood to the head. When he was 11 days old, I went to a competition with Easy Food, the Home Cook Hero Awards. And my mum had him in the buggy on one side of the kitchen and I was cooking on the other side of the kitchen. And I realised this was it. If I was going to change my life, cooking wasn't my passion. I just had a baby. I like I thought I was invincible. And I decided I was going to buy my own website and I was going to make a go of it. And that was when the website Wholesome Ireland was born and from there on cooking has been a huge part of my life 
And when you talk about that transition of being made redundant, now you're you're coming across as super positive. And what was that like at the time? I always compare redundancy to a bereavement. You have to go through a process of grieving for the job that you used to have. It was devastating, particularly because I had had a difficult pregnancy. My eldest son wasn't in the best of health. And I was really struggling on a mental basis at that point. And there came, I suppose, an epiphany when we started looking at the household bills and looking at cutting back on our bills. When I realized that the skills that I had used in the office, the skills that I had had when I was working in the property industry, they were transferable. They weren't exactly the same skills, but I was able to take, if I could organize a filing cabinet, well, then I could organize my presses. If I could organize an office budget, well, then I could organize a household budget. If I could negotiate with suppliers, okay, I wasn't going to negotiate down in the supermarket, but I could certainly negotiate with myself and and take a look at how I could get costs down. So that moment happened, I think, six months after I was made redundant, when I began to realize that actually the skills that I had in the office, while I wasn't able to put them to good use in an office, I was able to transfer them and then use them in the home. Very interesting. And... Katrina, how like did you drastically see the savings just straight away or was it over time? No, well, we drastically saw the savings straight away. But the difficulty was that the bills were still mounting. We had gotten into problems with the bank. We had entered into the mortgage arrears process because we were underpaying on the mortgage. We couldn't afford to pay them in full at the time. And that's a whole other story. Um, so for years and years, we lived on this very, very tight budget. And I blogged about it. And I always said that when we got beyond the financial difficulties, that I would continue on the budget. And I have done. Um, simply because I love having the financial freedom of being able to feed my family well on a budget and then have the choice to use the money elsewhere, be it bringing the kids on holidays or doing work in the house. And I think... That we often say, oh, if I had more money, it would solve my problems. Having more money doesn't solve problems. It just gives you more choices. And when you started the blog and you were being very honest and vocal about your situation, what was the feedback like you were getting? Oh, that I wasn't alone. And in fact, that me having the blog and people being able to read that they weren't on their own because they couldn't articulate how they felt it became a lightning rod. So thousands upon thousands of people were getting in touch with me, thanking me for giving them recipes to feed their family on a budget, giving them ideas. And above all else, thanking thanking me for making them feel that they weren't on their own. But the gas thing was that it was benefiting me more because the more people that got in touch with me, the better I felt about my situation. It was really, really crap. But I was hearing from other people. So it was creating a community of people who were having a hard time. And when you created that community, did that spawn ideas for there's a book here or what was next for Katrina at that stage? I think I always felt that I had a book. And at that time, it was the heyday of Irish food bloggers. There was, I think, maybe about 125 of us. We were a very tight-knit community. And quite a good few of us went on to produce our own cookbooks. I approached a publisher and very, very quickly, within six months, had a book deal. Um, and I had then a further, I suppose, six months to finish shooting the recipes and hand over the recipes. And to compile a recipe book is very, very different to compiling 
a fiction or a general non-fiction book every recipe has to be tested so every single recipe that you see on my blog or that you see elsewhere will have been tested at least four times before it goes into print so that's huge amount of time consuming work hard slog and my family hate me when I'm recipe testing because they have to try the recipes again and again so they have to eat the same meals and dishes again and again well I can say I've tasted your food and it's delicious so (laughs) that's fantastic just when you mentioned the bloggers there and going into that world of blogging were they did they greet you with open arms did they see you as a threat or were they very supportive I have found throughout all the years that Irish bloggers have been incredibly supportive of one another and they discuss everything with one another they are very very open in terms of sharing knowledge particularly around food and sharing the great news about Irish food Irish food producers and I have never found that it was a closed shop I know other people in perhaps other genres of blogging have found that but I have found that the more open you are, the more information that you share. Um, I know another blogger has a very great saying that she says a rising tide lifts all boats. And I think that's very important that if we support one another, then that support transfers across the whole platform. So the more support that we offer to one another, the more we can lift one another. That's very powerful. Um, so when the blog kind of took over, when did the next level happen? When were you like, wow, there's a business here, the book's happening. When was your first event or speaking event? My first speaking event came fairly quickly, actually. I was engaged by Glenisk, a fantastic organic brand, to do some cookery demonstrations for them in town. And I loved doing that. And I should kind of say, going back, back in the day, I do have experience in performance. I have had classes in speech and drama, I did sing um, on quite a high amateur level, maybe semi-professionally for many years. Um, So I am quite comfortable with being on stage. I am quite comfortable with speaking in in public. So it became a natural progression for me. Um, It's something that I really, really enjoyed. I think that in terms of, to put it in context, I also have a a business head. And I think that's that's it might be more what you're interested in so I've always had a plan I've always had a five-year seven-year ten-year and beyond plan so I've always had targets and goals that I want to meet and I sat down at the very start when I started the blog and I wrote them all down and give or take they've either been on target or certain things have advanced quicker so I've I've set those goals and I've moved towards them and then I've met them and where does that come from Katrina is that your corporate background is that someone that's inspired you that's given you that business mind is that a family member I I'm not sure actually I come from a family of entrepreneurs um my father did work in the army for many many years and then he went into his own business my mum had worked for herself for many many years I come from a family of four girls I've no brothers but we have an extremely strong feminist streak in the family where we were never told that we could be limited we were just told we could be whatever we wanted to be and we were always encouraged to develop the skills that we have I've always been ambitious and I think perhaps yeah maybe it does come from the family I I don't know I it's just the way I am I guess and 
where do you see nowadays the whole blogging and social media when it comes to food? Is it in a good space or is everyone out trying to just do their own thing? I think it's interesting. Um, and that's it's such an open comment. Um, I think that an awful lot of food brands in particular are attracted to working with influencers. And the difficulty with working with influencers is that they don't come from maybe a strong knowledge or, or food background. So when they share recipes, they might not have been tested. When they discuss food, they might not have the knowledge that comes behind um, the comments th that they make about the food. Um, and that brands are opening themselves up to an awful lot of criticism and danger from working with unqualified influencers. And then on the other hand, we have a couple of key brands who are extremely interested in working with qualified, informed people who might not necessarily have the influence in terms of numbers, but they have the knowledge. And then that brings with them the, um, what's the word? Um, it's, I suppose, real influence. I mean, I always say that I, if I can't influence my kids to get out of bed in the morning, how can I influence anybody? And that's genuinely how I feel about it. Um, and I think that it's it, it's a dangerous place at the moment in terms of food blogging. We've got a smaller amount of active food bloggers who are working extremely hard on their content. And then we have a large amount of food influencers who are not necessarily coming from a position of authority. Um, Just to get into the food for a moment, when you talk about food or feeding your family, do you go by a set of rules or what would you, is it a, is it a balanced diet? What do you look for when you're feeding? Oh, it definitely. Well, balance is, is one of the first things that I take a look at. Um, but for me, the most important way that I feed my family is to feed them as many whole foods as possible. So we're talking back to basics here. We're talking fresh fruits, fresh vegetables, eggs, meat or fish where appropriate, um, whole grains like oats, you know, nothing too complicated. It's a very traditional meal plan, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, a snack in between, um, you know, encourage them to snack on dairy like yogurt or maybe a piece of fruit or, I mean, the eight-year-old loves carrots and kind of peppers. That's his snack of choice. It's nothing too complicated because one of the other things that, that I take a look at when I am feeding the family on a budget is that we 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 are as a community and um <clears throat> mothers or or home makers in particular are short on time whether or not they're working inside of the home all the time or not they're short on time so it has to be accessible it has to be easy to make it has to use up as little amount of time as possible to get the highest quality yield so you know i'm talking about you know using your sunday roast on sunday and then using the leftovers the next day to save on money it's it's uncomplicated um and in many ways maybe it's the way that our parents and our grandparents ate and you mentioned that um i obviously work in the corporate space and i see a lot of people that always say to me they don't have time and they're running out for lunch and they grab something on the go and convenience food is massive how important is creating good habits Oh, habits are, habits are extremely important to eating well on a budget, but habits are extremely important to eating well, full stop. I often say that when people have more money, they don't necessarily eat a better diet. 
they just eat a more expensive diet. So they eat more expensive convenience foods because you, you cod yourself into thinking that perhaps it might be better quality. Um, and a great example of that is protein bars, which has been a, a huge topic of discussion over the last couple of weeks. And the nutritional benefit of protein bars are weak at best but they cost an awful lot more than perhaps maybe a mars bar and a mars bar would probably have about the same nutritional qualities as a protein bar so um being prepared is is important but also having the knowledge i mean there's 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 a huge amount goes into eating well on a budget and yet having very little time. So stuff like couscous or um, even, believe it or not, dried noodles, they're all really easy to eat well, to add into your diet and to eat well on a budget. They don't take long to cook. In fact, you can just lash them into, into a bowl with a little bit of hot water and they'll be ready in three, four minutes. But knowing that this is what you can do and you can prepare it the night before is key to being prepared and to eating well on on a budget but eating well in general like these foods I wouldn't say that they're particularly aimed at people who are on a budget they're aimed at people who don't have an awful lot of time the fact that they're budget friendly is a bonus yeah I'd love to Katrina just go back you mentioned earlier about goal setting and setting your goals um I'd say at the time when, from my opinion, maybe when you were made redundant, I'd say that was quite a difficult stage, if I'm correct. And to actually sit down and go, I'm going to set up this blog and I'm going to go forward. How important is goal setting to you then and now today? Oh, it's it, it's hugely important. You're sitting in my kitchen. You can see behind me over my shoulder. I have one of my many whiteboards. So in the whole house, I have whiteboards. I work from lists. I try to be organized and that goes back to my work in the office before I was made redundant. So behind me on the whiteboard, I I plan ahead, give or take, I, I need to roll it forward. It's about seven weeks that I plan ahead. So I need to know what I'm doing on a daily basis over, over the next seven weeks. And yet on my other whiteboards, I've set my goals for the next three months, six months, one year, two year, five year, 10 year. Um, because if you don't set your goals, no, I don't mean if you don't, because I don't want to put my knowledge onto anybody else, but I believe if I don't set my goals, well, then what am I working towards? Because I feel like I would be like a hamster on a wheel. I'd be running very, very fast and getting nowhere. And I want to progress. Now, that doesn't mean that I want to be the top food writer in the country in 10 years time. I want to progress within my abilities and within my interests. So one of the the goals that I set myself in the last two years was that I wanted to be more involved in running. Um, And we might come back to that in a minute. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So talk to me about how you find the balance now. So you're blogging, you're writing articles left, right and center. You're managing your family. um, You are involved in another business, if I'm correct. How do you balance all that? It's all about organization. Um, and it's all about allocating time. Um, perhaps when I set out and I started working freelance, perhaps I might have bitten off more than I, I could chew. Um, but the reason behind all of that was when we were so close to lo- losing the house and when I began to realize that I would have to do something within my own abilities and within being 
available to the kids my husband's job means that he has to be away from home he can't be here so he has to leave the house to go to work so I'm the person who has to be available to the kids it's just the natural order of things so my concern was when I started working freelance my concern was when I started working freelance was that I needed to have streams of income and that is extremely important when you're working freelance. You can't rely on just one stream of income. So my aim always was to have at least five streams of income. And that might sound mad. But when you're working freelance, I never want to be in a position where all of my, um, you know, contracts or all the people who, who uh, I work with turn around and say, no, sorry. I will always want to be in a position where I always have a fallback. So I have to have at least five streams of income. And that's how come I have to juggle and I have to be extremely organized. And probably one thing not a lot of people talk about, Katrina, is, and I, I try and delve in my, in my business a little bit, is what lessons have you learned so far with business? And is there anything negative that you don't like about having your own business? I don't like the always on. Um, and that really gets to me, particularly when I'm working with clients and they, they they know that I'm like this. You know, sometimes I may get an email or text or a phone call that's extremely late at night and my phone goes into do not disturb mode late at night. So unless they physically keep on texting me or calling me, they won't get a hold of me. Now, if they do that, it is obviously urgent um, and I do understand, but I can find it intrusive on family life I don't like the al always on what I do like is the flexibility so on the other side while my phone does go on to always on if I have a busy day with the kids or with a particular client well then my other client work can be done at 11 p.m at night or as I like to do and I'm I'm an early riser sometimes I will get up at five o'clock and I will work for a couple of hours before the kids get out of bed so it offers me the flexibility of being here for the kids for what they need but it also means that I can offer my clients the same quality of service no matter where I am and I mean I don't necessarily have to be based out of the home I could be living anywhere in the world and I could be doing the same amount of work and where does when it when you come to up with your recipes and your ideas and your ideas for the book where does that inspiration come from or is it just experimentation with food um, an awful lot of my inspiration comes from the recipes that I cooked with my mum and my grandmothers when I was younger. Um, but some of the inspiration comes from, and I did mention before that my dad worked in the army. When we were younger, we lived in Israel for a number of months. He was working over there with UNIFIL, so United Nations Interim Force in Lebanon. So we were, lived in the north of Israel in a small town called Nahariya, which was very, very close to the Lebanese border and he commuted across the Le Lebanese border every day so the food that we ate in Israel and we were lucky enough to visit visit the Lebanon a couple of times the food that I ate while I was there really influences my food today wow that, I didn't even know that that aspect of your life I need <laughs> to do more research <laughs> um and I suppose what's next or where do you see the blog going or your continue of growth um <clears throat> It's a great question and I'm not sure that I have the answer. I think for me, recipe development and working with recipes and coming up with recipes that are, are good to eat as in healthy for you or healthful if you really wanted to say, I'm not a fan of that word, um, on a budget that can be created in a very small kitchen and um, you might confirm this is a small kitchen, it's not an industrial kitchen is it? It's, it's it's a small kitchen yeah 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 so this is an extremely small kitchen so 
and that's one of the reasons why I like working on recipe development because if I can create it in this extremely small kitchen then people can replicate it the whole world o- over um, that's something that I really really love working with I also love working with community and communities are something that really interest me be it Irish food communities or communities in general and the development of communities up until a, a couple of years ago I was actually chairperson of the allotment committee locally so I worked with the council and we worked with the council and then we rolled out a community allotment scheme which is just a mile and a half from where we're sitting and we have an allotment down there so communities around food on a very very local hyper local level in many ways interest me hugely so I'd love to take a look at working around that more also food history and where our food comes from um is is hugely interesting to me so I actually have some old recipe books upstairs that I'm working my way through so I'm working my way through adapting the recipes to modern Irish life and that's interesting to me too very good. Uh, I know we keep bouncing back probably from food to business and entrepreneurship. Uh, one thing I'd love to know from yourself is you mentioned growing up and your mother being a big inspiration for food and your father. Where do you think we're at today with that? Do you think there's as much kids learning from their parents or where do you think we're at as a society, kids with food? So socially, this is something that really interests me. And I think I might have discussed this with with you before. When the marriage bar was lifted, so the marriage bar was lifted at the end of the 1970s. So up until the 1970s, if a woman got married in the civil service, she was expected to give up her job and she was expected to stay at home with her husband and be a homemaker. So when the marriage bar was lifted, that was the point at which Irish society's attitudes to food and convenience food began to change because the mother wasn't necessarily based in the home anymore. So families who had mothers based in the the home were either extremely privileged or there wasn't very much work for the mother in their local area. And now it is the norm for both parents to work. And the lack of having one parent being based in the home has led to a... I suppose, a food education desert and women of my age and younger haven't necessarily got the food knowledge to pass on to their children. Um, They don't have the skills, nor the knowledge, nor the education. So what's going to happen to our kids as they progress? We can't necessarily place the blame on the government. We can't place the blame on the education system. It's a difficulty within our society that we have a lack of food skills and if we don't take action as a community as a society our children and our children's children going forward are not going to have that knowledge they're not going to have the knowledge to build or to to create a meal from scratch they're not going to know how to grow their own food they're not going to know how to care for animals and as more and more of our communities and our society shift towards city-based living they're going to lose an awful lot and more and more convenience food will be seen on the supermarket shelves and you mentioned education there is there anything i did home economics when i was in secondary school and it it gave me a probably a better idea of food and what you can do with food and you can create with food but is there anything we can do be doing for the next generation at the earlier ages show them how to grow food get them involved from a very very young age show them 
that growing food means that they can feed themselves, give them the tools to do that. I think that once children grow their own food, then they gain an extra appreciation of what is on their table. Sorry. Of what is on their table. Um, I think that get them involved in the kitchen as a homemaker when I get home from work at the end of the day I'm often exhausted and then the thoughts of having boisterous kids in the kitchen with me while I'm trying to dish up a dinner is an absolute nightmare but I need to embrace it more and we need to embrace it more because when they cook with me then they pick up the skills because the best way to pick up skills is by doing not by showing so cooking together um, sitting down and eating together all of these things contribute towards a more healthier society and when you're cooking here do you do you notice or your kids wanting to get involved and know how you're making it and oh, where yeah. you source the food from yeah yeah so um yeah they really really want to be involved particularly when it comes to the tasting part they're very enthusiastic about that the sweet stuff i bet not nec- uh, not necessarily that the would sweet be me stuff. then <laughs> no not necessarily the sweet stuff they they love indian style dishes like dal and stuff like that so they when they come in the house and say i'm cooking something like that straight away the eyebrows go up they're like bisto kids coming in the kitchen because they want to taste and they know what what to expect um and then for years we reared our own pigs for the table um, so they're very conscious about um, how important free range is, how important higher welfare meat is. Um, they're both members. We're, we're a bilingual household. I think you might have met Maura Trassa already on the podcast. Absolutely. So we are a bi- bilingual house- household. So they're both members of the Quish de Gloss in their local school, which is the Green Committee. Um, so they really are aware of food, the consequences, the environment and the whole cycle. Where do you think, probably a big question now here, Katrina, but I'd love to get your opinion on it. I was actually uh, talking to my cousin who um, runs Bread 41 and Owen, yeah, and he was in a farm, an industrial farm yesterday, an indoor farm in a warehouse where they grow herbs and many, I think, fruits and veg. And they're talking about this is the where, where we're going to be going with food. If we keep destroying the environment at the rate we're doing where do you see it going with food and land and what we're doing at the moment well currently we have a massive problem with wetland that's a huge problem in the last couple of months and my own crops are rotting in the land because i can't lift them um and basically everything is 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 in a really bad way we do need to take a look at the way that we grow one of the things that we've done in our allotment is we've covered um, a polytunnel so we grow an awful lot of of our produce within a polytunnel um which protects it from the elements and then raises the temperature a couple of degrees so we can grow more tropical things um peaches grapes um even melons can be grown in ireland when you have a polytunnel very close to us here we have an excellent organic farm mcnally's um which is just a couple of miles across over another hill and what they're doing as organic farmers is groundbreaking I think probably where Owen was yesterday was a combination of hydroponic. Um, yeah, so it was exactly, hydroponic. Yeah. yeah, so hydroponic growing is 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 interesting. It's actually been done for decades. Uh, yes, I think that if climate change continues to deteriorate at the pace that it's going, farmers are going to have to take a look at how they're growing um, when we've got such extremes of temperature. Farming does need to evolve, but we do need to retain 
our organic skills i'm not saying that organic is the way to go but i think that more natural farming is the way to go what you put into the ground is what you're ultimately going to put into your body in some some manner shape or form and i mean we want to be well in the future and the consequences of eating or drinking food that has been produced using chemicals using chemicals that have been certified as carcinogens the consequences of those we still don't know because that um advance in agriculture has only happened in the last couple of decades so it is a huge concern and if hydroponic farming can be done in a natural way well then yes that's the way we're going you you touched on there um being well and i suppose exercise will be an, an important part of your life and i can see you smiling here because you, you know where i'm going with this um talk to us about running and what running means to you it's headspace um but it's also part of being a a community um two years ago now i said right enough is enough i can't i can't continue like this and it was to do with my head uh, physically i wasn't great i um i do not have runner's physique i do not look like a runner um i run to eat um and I started running. I joined a local free running club and a shout out for the Balbriggan Road Runners. We meet twice a week um, in the evenings. It's free. You just turn up and there's always somebody there to bring you home. Even if you are the last one, everybody waits. It's incredibly supportive. Then I joined Park Run. Once again, free. I'm a huge fan of free things in case you haven't gathered. Um, and then my husband said, let's do the marathon. And I went, are you serious? I really was not enthusiastic and he said oh it's a bucket list I really want to do it so we both signed up for the marathon in 2018 and six weeks out he hurt his back and he couldn't do it and I said well flip you anyway I've done the training I'm going to go and do it without you so I did um it is primarily headspace it is for the most part half an hour an hour every second day where I get out of the house where the phone doesn't ring and that I have sea air in my face because we're right on the beach here and it offers me so much more than headspace I come back I have clarity I sleep better my um, heart rate drops my blood pressure drops um, I have a much more positive mental attitude and exercise is the one thing that gives that to you it's a natural high it's a natural endorphin and talk to me on your experience with the marathon congratulations first off welcome to the club um what was that like for you? What was that journey of doing the marathon? Because a lot of people struggle with it. A lot of people really have, have struggled with the marathon. So I'd love to know your journey with that. So I, I, I am not the most successful marathon runner. I entered twice. I have one successful finish and I have a DNF because I DNF'd this year. I did not finish. Um, the marathon in 2018 was, dare I say it, possibly even better than my wedding day. It was incredible. The support from our club, we took two busloads in. It was just brilliant. Um, and our club are volunteers on the marathon course and they volunteer at mile 26, mile 25 and mile 26. So I knew if I could get around to that point, I would see friendly faces that would get me home. And I certainly did. Um, in 2018, I joined with another club member and we finished it together. We weren't fast, um, but we finished it. And I think that that's really important. I think people have a misconception when they enter a marathon that they have to do it fast. What do you define as a fast marathon? Well, certainly not not Kipchoge fast but like most people think oh and I need to do it between four hours and five and a half yes that is peak time for finishers on the marathon um gantry absolutely 
and Dublin City Marathon will say that themselves that's when they get the most amount of finishers but the cutoff time for Dublin City Marathon is seven hours 15 minutes so they can have people finishing right up until then um, and the completion of a marathon is your victory lap so I'd done all the training at that point so myself and my friend Olivia basically nattered yacked solved all of the wrongs in the world as we went around and we finished in six hours 26 that's that's brilliant achievement it's it's massive Uh, and i say welcome to the club because my personal opinion is um people get hung up on times i really do believe and if that's their thing that's their thing but like you're part of an exclusive club that's the way i look at it and like as you say it's the body of work that you're putting in the year up to the marathon the six months the 12 months whatever it's taken to get to that and like you mentioned capoji there and i'm like are you winning the marathon or where everyone gets a medal do you know what i mean and that's that's what it's all about at the end of the day and i really i did the marathon again this year myself and coming in just to finish on it's just it's an amazing day and they as you know dublin is the friendly marathon but just that's the second time i've done it and it's just an amazing experience i'd love to katrina you you're so positive Every time I talk to you, you have a, a glowing energy. And hearing you talk about the marathon air, exercise, food, is there any recommendations? Do you use podcasts? Do you use books? What would you recommend to any of the listeners? For running or in general? In general, both, whatever. If you want to take a food, if you want to take a motivation, if you want to take an exercise. I'll be very honest. I don't listen to a massive amount of podcasts. I do listen to... Um, I do listen to Tom Dalton's Making It Happen. Uh, do you want to give yourself a Thanks for the planks of plug. I appreciate <laughs> that, yeah. On iTunes and Spotify. <laughs> um, I, don't, I don't listen to masses. I, I tend to just leave the radio running in the background. When I switch off, I switch off completely. So I read fantasy books um, and I read them on the Kindle. I love watching TV, like watching movie nights with the kids. Today is Toy Show Day. So tonight the kids have already given me their shopping list and tonight is all about time with the kids. Um, but I think I, I wouldn't advise anybody to read up or listen to podcasts or listen to music. My advice to people is more learn to shut off because when you're an entrepreneur and when you work for yourself and when you when you even if you're a homemaker, if you work in the home, switching off is more important because the time that you give back to yourself is time you're giving back to yourself and to the rest of your family and to your community so my greatest advice to people if they're no matter what they do is to switch off turn your phone to do not disturb put down devices at an earlier time go to bed earlier get up earlier if that's what you want to do get as much sleep as you can and recharge your batteries because that is far more valuable to you than the fear of missing out, the fear of have I read this? Have I have I done this right? Stop second guessing yourself. Give yourself more space. And Katrina, you mentioned about the best piece of advice. Have what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? Um, I know I'm putting you on the spot now, but well, I suppose the best ever piece of advice I've ever received is this will pass. And basically the way I say is take this will pass and apply it to a multitude of situations. When you're in pain at mile 22 in a marathon, this will pass. When you are having an extremely bad day, this will pass. If you have a small baby and they won't stop crying, 
this will pass and I think that that is one of the best pieces of advice I'd ever say and my husband always says if it's all going to be okay and if it's not okay it's not the end and that's the way he says that's very good that's very uh, very interesting um when it comes to book you mentioned books you mentioned fantasy books there is there any recommendations you'd say or what would be your favorite book I'm a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. I, I, I'll admit it. That's that's my ultimate book. I have a couple of special editions of Lord of the Rings. I love it that much. I mean, I first read it when I was a child and I it transports you somewhere else. And I think that is what gives me the ability to switch off. I also love Harry Potter books. Um, His Dark Materials, uh, Philip Pullman, which is a series on BBC One at the moment, which I'm really enjoying watching with the kids. Um, all of those kind of things are are what I enjoy. And you don't need to buy books. It doesn't have to be done expensively. There's an ex- there's a free app on your phone, on your Kindle. It's called BorrowBox. So once you have a library card, you can rent audiobooks and you can rent podcasts and you can re- rent videos and books for free from the library. So look it up. I still actually use the library and I actually only ordered there the other day because the one thing I do a lot of books is I try and get through a lot a lot of content and what the library does is gives me a window whereas like i need to drop this book back in 30 days or whatever it might be and when would the books lead you into what would be like one of your favorite movies or what recommendations of movies do you kind of like um and again yes it would lead you into favorite movies uh, with the kids marvel movies are are a huge thing um and star wars um are huge with the kids um that's these are all the things that they that they love um yeah i suppose um creating a fantasy world creating a world where where good beats evil um that's i i isn't that the ultimate where you want to teach your kids that good does overcome evil because when they grow up they'll discover that the world perhaps doesn't work that way so yeah yeah that's what i like very good um katrina when you're not cooking or you're doing your own food is there any little gem where you love going for a bite to eat that you'd like to recommend oh i've got a a, a couple <laughs> okay um so just north of here is a pub called the lime kiln um and that does fantastic food and i don't just mean pub food it it, it has a lovely restaurant but it also has a lovely shop outside um, I am a huge fan of your cousin's shop, Bread 41. I don't mean shop. I apologize, Owen. <laughs> um, I'm a huge fan of Bread 41 and actually the kids are as well. So that's our go-to when we get into town. Um, and then in general, we try to to kind of source Middle Eastern cuisine because that's what I love eating and that's what I love making. Brilliant. Well, Katrina, I just want to say it's an absolute pleasure to have a conversation today and like it's one of the reasons why i do the podcast is to have these conversations so thank you again where can people stay in touch with you or find you or tell us a little bit more where we can get you at well just do a search for katrina redmond online you'll probably get led to my website um which is wholesomeireland.com but you'll you'll find me at on all platforms if you search for me um pretty much everywhere it's wholesome ireland or katrina redmond um, you'll find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest. I do have or I did have a podcast on iTunes that I may be inspired to um, resurrect now after chatting to you. Um, but I'm also on YouTube. Brilliant. Well, listen, Katrina, it's been an absolute pleasure once again. Thanks for coming on and I uh, wish you all the best in the future. Thank you.